there eventually. Okay, you guys beat me to the punch, already standing. Okay, Exodus 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name, uh, this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. 
that there is ever a passage which best demonstrates the introduction of God, it'd be this passage. Um, it will take the rest of Scripture to, def- to understand him, to come to grips, to realize who he is. Um, and when upon Moses hearing the greatest news that he has heard up to this point, he makes so many excuses um, of why not to go. Sometimes you can hear the greatest news that could change your life and for everyone around you and become the most reluctant person to extend that grace and news towards those who need it. But I think this passage is quite convicting, and I've already tipped my hand where we're going. But I just pray that you would pray with me. Um, There is something humorous that as you go through this story and you watch Moses bring up five reasons not to go and do that which God said he would do, that along the way, you laugh at the guy for the ways that he is trying to get out of it. But if you're careful as you walk along the journey with Moses, you come to realize that Moses is not writing about his experience just so that you might know his experience, but rather so that you might know this is how you and I act when God calls us to do the same. So let's pray. Lord, I know, we know who we are. And we recognize, and even to myself, that I speak about myself, Lord, I recognize that I fail to meet my own expectations. There's a psalm that I might place in front of others, that I am merely Jacob. I am unable to change the heart of a man. And even in my own heart, I need your grace. And I know that Moses felt unable to help his Hebrew brothers from the situation that they were in. He was helpless. And I imagine when he first heard the news that you were coming, resolve the situation which the Hebrews were in for 400 years, he was excited. Only to find out that you were sending him. Lord, you have created humanity with a unique responsibility to express your image through the world. And we are reluctant to do so, so often. And why you choose, why you choose to use mankind to do this, Lord, I am, I wonder but your sovereignty and your grace towards humanity is profound. May we not be counted among those who are despondent upon receiving the greatest news that you have come. And so while we look at a story that is very, very old, it is very present to our own situation. In Jesus' name, amen. I kind of want to start off where I ended off last week. My only concern in doing so is that was seven days ago. And the gap between now and then, there has been a lot of time that has filled that gap where you 
I don't expect you to remember how I even started off last week. So as an attempt to remind you of where we've come, Moses named his first son Gershom. The first 40 years of his life, Moses has not fit in. The significance of naming his son Gershom is significant in that how you define how you live in this life and how you feel. Apparently for Moses, you name your son firstborn after the situation in which you find yourself. I am out of place. I don't fit in. And for the rest of his life, as he calls Gershom to him, he'll be reminded of the reality that is always in front of him. And imagine in Exodus chapter 3, when he hears about this great good news that God has seen, has heard, and is coming. It was good news until verse 10. I'm sending you. Imagine that Moses would have thought, I've already tried that. It didn't work. And the reluctance in which Moses is going to display us, which was not all of it read this morning, which we'll see. He is suffering what he has experienced in the first 40 years of his life, now extended in the next 40 years of his life. There are some events so significant, so strong, that when you experience it, it feels like it cripples you for the rest of your life. Moses has felt disconnected, out of place, for 80 years. There have been times in my own life where I felt that I didn't fit in. You guys have heard me say I hated middle school and high school. I never felt like I was in the club. But time will help, right? There are seasons in our lives where you know, like, you want to be in, but you're not because you got to wait. And so we have this this thing in our own culture, we recognize that time will help resolve that. So we all know we hate to start a new job. Why? Because you're the odd man out and you have to learn how everybody else works and you got to find your place and within this new work environment so as to find your place. And time helps resolve that out of place perspective. When you transfer from one high school to a new high school, Man, restarting with a whole new group of friends, you feel out of place. In fact, when you move from one city to another city, you feel out of place. But in all of those situations, it's true that time seems to fix that out of place position. Not for Moses. 80 years. 80 years out of place. And you can see it in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. And I have to remind you, just real quick. When Jacob had to flee for his life because he had just deceived Esau of his birthright and blessing, Jacob fled to his uncle's house, Laban. And it took merely only 20 years, remember, When Jacob gave to Laban's house, he had nothing. But within 20 years, Jacob is able to create an enormous family, blessing of God, and had so many resources that when he makes his way back to his homeland, he is considered rich in prosperity. 
It only took Jacob 20 years. Moses, in comparison, when he fled from the house of Pharaoh because of trying to satisfy the injustice that was being committed towards the Hebrews, it has been now another 40 years. And now look at where he's been and what he has done over the next 40 years of his life. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Median, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Hebron, Hereb, the mountain of God. Every parent's dream is that at some point, they will reach the age where they can provide for themselves. You start to feel that pinch when they start driving. And you realize how much your insurance go up. And you hope, oh, you hope that that car will be used one day. That they'll get a job. And in which they'll be able to provide for their own insurance. Provide for a place to live. And be able to live on their own. That's the dream of a parent. However, Moses has lived 80 years of his life, and he cares not for his own flock, but his father-in-law's. I don't stress this, I don't want to overstress this, because there is some cultural significance here. Indeed, he is part of this family, but he has not created his own. He now cares for his father-in-law's flocks. And he has led them out. Now, where he lives is Median, which is out in the middle of nowhere. And he is like a wanderer shepherding a flock out in the middle of nowhere, if you're out in the nowhere already. He is on the west side of the wilderness and came to Herod, the mountain of God. He is utterly chosen to live his life amongst the sheep and allowing. He doesn't feel out of place. This is how he has felt for 80 years. It's just striking. The person which God is going to reveal himself to is this man. Out in the middle of nowhere. And as he has, I think, found his place to be content for the rest of his life and just to live it out, this is the moment where God shows up. And you all know the story. The scene, the way that Moses depicts it, has been seen by all of us. As he shepherds, he walks by a bush that appears to be on fire, but that does not burn. And as a result of this, he turns aside to look at it, recognizing that this is not a normal situation. And as he does, he hears for the first time and witnesses the very appearing of the Lord. What I want to do here is what Moses is going to see here, what he's going to hear here is awesome. It's the second point that I want to rather dive into a little bit further. But God profoundly reveals himself to Moses in a unique, 
awesome way. And what Moses does with this experience is what I think Moses is trying to convict us as the reader. I have, it's not just Moses that has found himself this. I have argued, I think I'm trying to talk with people, but I have argued with people. And eventually at one point, somebody will say, well, if God were to show himself right in front of me, then I would believe. And as I have seen throughout the rest of Scripture, that's not always true. In fact, we see the highest rejection of this in Christ Jesus. They say, witness him, feed the 5,000, walk upon the waters, see him resurrect. And yet still people give reason to be unbelieving. God works with those people. And he works with Moses. And so Moses turning aside in the appearing of the Lord, our first point, look what God says in verse 6. He says, and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. It's I mean, a rare experience for a bush to talk, right? But the reality is, is that it's not, it is through the bush that God is speaking. And for the first time, it's interesting when you read about Moses' life, we don't know who his father is. He's not named. He is merely the son of a Levite. But we know that he was adopted into the house of Pharaoh. And there's this idea of who is his father. God knows. I am the God of your father. I know you. That's really cool. And that the God of the heavens knows Moses by name, calls him out Moses, Moses. Significant point in that you recognize as a child, there would be time to time when an adult would start talking to me and I had no idea who they were. And as a result of that perplexed look, they would at times say, I know who your father and mother are. I saw you when you were this age and you have grown and I've watched you grow. Helpful information in that because of the relationship that they had with my parents, it became the, the bridge by which I found familiarity with this individual where it be an individual of trust. Here God is introducing himself. I am the God, not only of your father, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I know you and your family. I have partaked in why you even exist. And upon hearing this, Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Look at verse 7. And then the announcement. It's been 400 years. 400 years of Israel, the Hebrews, being enslaved by by the Egyptian, and you got to think, after 400 years, is God even watching? And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I knew their suffering, and I love, verse 8, I am coming down. It's, it's the God of the heavens now that I cannot delay anymore. And I am now going to provide the means 
for this oppressed people who have been in bondage for 400 years to be free from it. Such an exciting moment of news. And then he goes on to elaborate where he's going to take them from and where he's going to take them to. So I'm not only going to save you from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Brizzardites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, where those guys live, that's going to be your land. There's milk and honey, everything that you possibly need to, to enjoy and be prosperous. Verse 9. Such a great moment of good news. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress. Like If Exodus ended at 3.9, the next book would be, And God delivered Israel out of Egypt. Because the reality is, is you know God can do it. But it's interesting about the way that God exercises and reveals himself within his creation is through humanity. And so while we know that God, this is a Christian perspective of how we view God, while we know God exists within creation because it is his creation and that humanity plays a unique role within his creation, the means by which God reveals himself before all, before all the creation is through humanity. So if he is going to do such a great thing by delivering the people out of Egypt, he needs someone to go. Moses up to this point, I believe, would have been thrilled. I've tried it. I've tried to free the Hebrews from their injustice and it didn't work. Praise the Lord, God himself is coming. And I've tried to try to reconcile the significance of what is going on in Israel in my own mind. Because when I see injustice even in our own country, let's just take the freeway. I always use speed limits. But when we see a reckless driver driving, there's this hope that there's a police officer, you're not the only one that thinks this way, there's a police officer around the corner that's going to catch him, right? There's this hope that, that when the police officer sees him, he'll pull him over and give him a ticket, unless it's your own child, right? Then our insurance goes up. Um, but the reality is this is this hope that there would be an authority that would satisfy the justice that we need in this land. Moses has watched monks with the Hebrews as such an extremely poor example in that the situation that they found themselves in is that there was no authority to go to to satisfy the injustice which it was actually socially normalized to oppress a people based upon their ethnicity and race that there was no place to go. And you could imagine after 400 years of the hopelessness of being able to get out of that type of bondage would have been 
deliberating. I mean, just humiliating. There is no way to get out of this situation because there's no authority or power to go to to deliver us from these things except for God. And this situation that we find ourselves here looking at in Exodus has plagued all societies. I cannot not think of our own country, which is oppressed in the same way. The blood that has filled the earth and which has used its authority to oppress another for their own prosperity has culturally plagued us all. And the, and the sins of the past still cry out. Moses being overwhelmed, this would have been what I would say good news. For the one who is only able to deal with it is coming. And then verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But you just said you're coming. And now you're going, you're going to see, this is the second point in which we will find ourselves just reflecting on. It was good news until verse 10 because in verse 10, Moses knows who he is. Because he's trying it before. He is trying to satisfy the injustice to bring it to justice. And he failed miserably. And the account of that action has left him alone for the next 80 years. And you want me to go back? Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. That you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. (laughs) And we get the first. First, I don't know question of rejection dismissive who am i that i should go to pharaoh and bring the children of israel out of egypt i've already tried this it didn't work in fact this is why i'm out in the middle of nowhere shepherding sheep do you not see who i am i am a unable verse 12 yeah but I'll be with you. Crazy. Last time, you did it without me. But this time, I'll be with you. So yeah, I do know who you are. (laughs) I know you're not impressed with yourself. I'm not. I'll be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So the first excuse which Moses puts before God is, well, you know, you know who I am. Yeah, but I'm going to be with you. Some of the most just refreshing words. In fact, if we remember like in the beginning of Genesis, that God made humanity to enjoy life with him. And Moses knows who he is without him. Without God, he's unable to satisfy his own desires, but then also to free from others from injustice. I've already tried that and failed. Yeah, I know, but this time I'll be with you. So the second question that he places before the Lord, or the second 
attempt to say, why don't you just go by yourself? It's found in verse 13. And when she says, well, well I, you see, you know who I am. Well, who are you? And when she says, and Moses says to God, if, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is your name? What shall I say to them? Two things could be going on here. One, Moses doesn't know who he is. It's been 80 years. It's been 400 years of oppression. Moses may have an idea of who God is and he doesn't know. Or he's, he's just trying to gain some information so that when he comes with this name of God, that the people of Israel will be inspired by it. Say, let's go. What you find here is what is so helpful. The rest of scriptures will go on to display the nature and the character of who God is. And God will say in response, who am I? I am who I am. Another way of translating, I will be what I am. Like, it's an elusive, vague response. In that God will not let Moses or the people of Israel define him. Rather, it's God who will define himself. And that the people will receive him as he has been defined by himself. So initially, he, when he reveals his name in the first sentence, nor in the second, it's actually in the third sentence that he actually describes his name. But before I give you my name, I am what I am. I'll be what I am. Tell them, I am sent you. Verse 15, and God said to Moses, say to this, the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who has been present, who loves his people, who has established them, who has fulfilled his promises to them and will commit to those promises. He has sent me to you. Verse 15, let me read it again. You might have missed it, the name. And God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The term there, the Lord, is the term Yahweh. It's going to be significant as you and I read the next 15 chapters to see who this one is. To tell them, Yahweh has sent you. It's going to be really cool, and I don't want to jump to our convictional response just yet, how this gets used in the New Testament. But for the Jewish people, this is who God is. This is his name. The greatest news which Moses has heard in 400 years, the Hebrews, I'm coming. Who am I? I know, but I'm with you. Well, who are you? So, like, if somebody's going to pay your debt, Sure, nice to know if they have the means to pay it. You're going to ask me to take on Pharaoh? So is your name and your resources more significant than this guy, Pharaoh? This is what he's asking. Do you have the means to deliver the Hebrews out of the hand of Pharaoh? 
in the next, cha- next 12 chapters? Yep. Watch and see. Because I'm awesome. Verse 16. Go. Gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you at what has been done to you in Egypt. I see. His next question. Clearly you know who I am, and now I know who you are in part. What happens if they don't believe? See this third this excuse in verse three or chapter four verse one. And Moses answered, Behold, so I, I'm gonna go over there and tell them that the Lord is going to deliver. But what happens if they don't believe me or listen to my voice? For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. (laughs) You're just quoting God and saying he's got a plan for our life. But prove it. What's so interesting here, even as Moses makes these excuses to not go, the Lord here is gracious towards Moses and he gives him what we could call three signs. So anytime anybody asks you, you can pull these signs out to prove that the Lord has sent you. And the first sign that I will allow you to use is the staff. And you remember the scene and that Moses is able to take the staff. You can see this is verses two through five and throw it on the ground and it will become a snake. Grab it by the tail and the snake will be turned back to a staff. Who has sent you? You say the Lord. Well, here. Watch this. The God who is the creator of all things can create a stick into a serpent. He has sent me to you to deliver you. Well, what happens if they don't believe the first one? Well, here's another one. Stick your hand into your pocket and pull it out. And Moses does this and he pulls it out and his hand is immediately turned to leprosy. And if you're familiar with leprosy, to have leprosy is a death sentence. Immediately upon the second sign, everybody would be fleeing from Moses. And that is until he put his hand back in his pocket and pulled it out and been cleansed. So not only is the God, the God who is able to create anything, even a snake from a stick, but he is the God who can cleanse people from their sickness. And the third time, he gives them a third and it may look odd to you and I, but it probably would have been the most powerful. The third in Genesis or Exodus chapter, um, and the third is, is that he provides to Moses the opportunity to dip a cup in the water and to be able to pour it on the ground and it would be turned, it would turn itself into blood. I don't think I have it on the screen for you, but you see it with me at verse 9, chapter 4. If they will not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Why is this significant? For 400 years, for a long period of time, what has Egyptian been, Egyptians been doing to the boys? 
I've been throwing them in the Nile. And the God who sees, who hears, the cries. As Moses would take the water and pour it, this is the God who is coming, who has seen, and who is coming to redeem them out of this oppression. So who am I? You know, don't worry, I'll be with you. Who are you? Do you have the means to deliver? What happens if they don't believe me? Here are three signs. How many would it take for you? When God were to call you to do something that you actually, you and I, would do it. How many questions will it take to be answered by God to do that which he has called you to do? The excuses get ridiculous. I can't talk. That's, that's, that's convenient. In that you're an Egyptian, Moses, and you are a Hebrew, you're going to have the means to be able to speak to both. But nonetheless, look at verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant that I am slow of speak and of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now there we go. And I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Don't worry, I will be with you. And that mouth of yours, I made it. And I can help it speak. Finally, the fifth excuse is finally stated. Verse 13. Oh, my Lord. It's crazy he uses his name here. Please send someone else. Verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. He goes on to speak, I'll send you someone to help. Five excuses by a man who has been plagued with not able, but not being able to find his place. And finally, God gives him a, a wonderful opportunity. And all this man can do is give excuse after excuse after excuse to not do that which God has called him to do. What's interesting is that God is, what's being revealed to us here is that God was patient with Moses. And for the sake of time, I just have to skim. For he will finally, finally go, reluctantly, to Egypt. And he and Aaron will speak. And you find out that God who has spoken to Moses is able to do that which he said he could do. Verse 31. And the people believed. And when they heard... The Lord had visited the people of Israel. 
and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. A reluctant man who recognized he wasn't able to go, unfamiliarity with who God was, and came up with numerous excuses along the way to not do that which God has said to do. And he has been given this good news. It's not the first man, point three, our conviction response to do this. In fact, I think of Jonah. The Syrians were a wicked people. And God says, go to them. And Jonah gave every reason not to go. In fact, got on a boat to go the opposite direction, to take the word that which had saved the Assyrians away from them. Moses, I'm coming. Now go tell the Israelites, I'm on my way. Well, who, do you not know who I am? Who are you? What if they don't believe me? Here are three signs. I can't talk. Send someone else. And throughout all of that, he, he is able, if anything should strike us here, he is able to move the Lord, who is slow to anger, abounding in love, to anger. Which is why I asked earlier on, how many questions would, it, would you need answered before you would actually do that which you know God has already said to do? Flee from sin. Be done with that. How many times do we come up with excuse after excuse? I cannot not think of, go preach the gospel. Well, what happens if they don't believe me? You heard that one in your head? I know. Right? The gospel ends with this incredible truth. But the one promised even from the mouth of Moses that would not only redeem just the, the Hebrews, but all of humanity from the curse, which was even over them and Egypt, would atone for our sins and resurrect from the grave. It's this man who, who called himself Lord. Really cool. And upon being Lord, he didn't take his disciples to a burning bush, but he did take them to a mountain just like Moses was on. In his last words, which he compels the readers to read and to consider about what's next for them in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The reason why Exodus is so fun to read and it's going to be fun to preach through is because God is displayed as awesome. He can actually make one part of the world dark while making a sliver of it light. He can call hell from from the skies down upon the earth. He can make the frogs go wherever they want and then the next day make them go away. He can make the animals in Egypt die, but yet the animals in Israel live. He's awesome. When you read the gospel, it's it's doing the same thing. Jesus is awesome. Not only does the God in Exodus split the waters, but when we get to the New Testament, the Lord walks upon the waters. Remember the scene when Peter and the disciples were like, that's a ghost. 
Well, now, Lord, if that is you, that's what Peter says, don't miss what he's asking. Lord, God over the waters, if that is you, call me to come out to you. Remember what Jesus says, I am. When you read the Gospels, when you read the God who is the I am, he is it's going to take the rest of the scriptures to be awesome, amazed by him. And upon his resurrection, the most amazing display of his authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, what happens? Do you know who I am? God, can't even reach my own expectations. And you want me to tell the world about the greatest news in the world? Who are you? Well, I know that. What if they don't listen? Just have them read about me. Talk about me. Let them see my power put on display. But I'm not eloquent. This is how we think we are Moses. Now, I say it this way, and I don't want to be too abrupt. Moses got Aaron, but I can't be your Aaron. Right? Paul and the apostles encouraged the church to equip you. To be the, those who proclaim who God is in the world that you live. You carry the greatest news in the world. There is someone who can save you from your sin. And God delights to enjoy life with you. Not just for the present, but forever. And we, I'm going to include myself, make many excuses not to do so. And so if there's ever any warning that we can draw out of this, Moses was able to bring the Lord who's slow to anger to anger. Let us not be, if there's any hope that I would hope for ourselves that we could always be growing in, it would be this. We proclaim Christ to the world in front of us. We declare the good news. Because we fear we might anger him. For he loves the world. For God so loved the world. He sent us. He sent Christ. We have come to realize who he is. And yes, we know who we are. We do not feel adequate or eloquent. But I'll be with you. I'll tell you. And I'll end this and we'll go to the table. Just answered an email. And I sat down with a guy says, you know you're a sinner? Yes, totally. Do you know who needs to save you? Yes, totally, Jesus. Just somebody needs to tell me how to get saved. <laughs> it's not, it's, you're supposed to be a critic and you're supposed to be a... There'll be times where you get to enjoy bringing somebody into the Lord's relation, bringing somebody into a relationship with the Lord. But for the most of us, it's just the steady proclamation of who God is, being faithful to answer the questions in which they're asking and allowing the God to be present with us as we answer them 
in such a way that they might ultimately understand the hope that is before them in Christ Jesus. How we come before the table? I want us to think carefully how we use our mouths to the world that which God has sent us. That includes your families, that includes your workplace, that includes this your time at the park. Have you used and responded as God has sent us to this city to proclaim his good news that he has saved all men from the consequences of sin? Let's pray. Lord, we can take the table in the 